continue in our study in, in uh, Philippians. Just want to remind you of our, our time of prayer and fasting that we would pray for it and we would pray that you would just, we pray that our hearts would be prepared for this time of prayer and fasting. We're going to start Sunday night. The schedule will be all over the place, but we'll start Sunday night and we'll go through Wednesday night. And Wednesday night we'll close together as a body and take communion together. And God will just lead you individually on how you fast. God has given me a message on, on fasting for this Sunday morning. And I just feel it's, it's a time. I just feel it's a, it's a time that the Lord would have us to do this and to take it seriously. And I know he's going to honor it and bless it. Amen. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Well, Philippians chapter 3. I want you, if you would, to, work, to read verses 1 through 3 with me. Philippians 3, 1 through 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. I'm going to stop right there. Paul goes on to talk about uh, if there was any reason to boast in the flesh religiously, he would have had it. He goes to to talk about his life. We'll get into that uh, not next week, but the following week. But I think this is a mouthful here, especially verses two and three. And we just want to take our time and get into this and study it tonight. But he says right here, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And this, we've said, is a, is a theme throughout this short epistle, four chapters, and I believe it's 14 times or more that rejoice in the Lord in some fashion or form is, is mentioned in these four chapters. I'll remind you, although I know that you know it, Paul is writing this epistle from a Roman prison and he had, had been arrested in Philippi, he was later arrested in Rome, and he is rejoicing in the Lord, and he is wanting the body of Christ to rejoice in the Lord. So that is definitely a theme. We're to rejoice, but to beware, he talks about in verse 2, but our rejoicing is in the Lord. Our rejoicing is not in worldly things. Our rejoicing is not in, not that we can't be happy when you know, we have something nice in this life, but our joy is from the Lord. It is a fruit of the Spirit, and our rejoicing is in the Lord. It's not in empty, worldly, vain things that can come and go, okay, that come and go. We don't rejoice in circumstances. We rejoice in Christ. We rejoice in the Lord. Amen. I just want to read this. Jesus said, Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. He's not afraid of us asking. He's not afraid of us. Uh, his desire for us is that we would be a joyful people, not only semi-joyful, but that your joy may be full. Full there means like crammed full, like a like fishing net that's crammed so full it's about to burst. That's the joy that he wants us to have. John said, in these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Okay? The Lord wants us to be joyful. And so Paul just says it's not a burden to me or grievous to write this to you. He probably had preached these same things to them in person, and now he's writing it to them. 
but it wasn't a bother to him or it wasn't grievous or a burden to him to remind them to rejoice in the Lord. Amen. He was facing trials. They were going to, to face severe trials in their life, and he wanted to rem remind them to be joyful. So that's, that's really all on, on that verse because we've talked so much about joy in trials. But look at verse 2. He says rejoice in verse 1, but he says beware. Rejoice, but beware. And I believe that's a good combination in the Lord. Amen. We're to rejoice. We're not to let anything steal our joy in the Lord. But at the same time, we're rejoicing in the Lord and having peace in Christ and joy unspeakable and full of glory. We're cautious. We're cautious. And he tells us what to be cautious of. Beware. He says, beware means just what you think it would mean. Beware means to take heed. It means to see, to perceive. It means to behold, to constantly look out for, to be alert, to pay attention, to be on guard. Okay? That's what beware means. And so we are told in the body of Christ that we are to, uh, to be cautious. We're to know those that labor among us. We're to be on guard because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom we're to re resist steadfastly in the face faith but he says beware so take heed three different things and we'll we'll talk about these three and break them down beware of what what is Paul telling this church and I, it would it would be the same things that we need to be aware of okay he says beware of dogs he says beware of evil workers this is all in verse 2 and beware of concision the concision. So we're going to talk about this. He says dogs. Dogs is not is a different word here than a household pet. This is not talking about man's best friend, okay? This is not talking about Fido or Lassie or, or the, the dog that, you know, risks his life to save you or his companion. This is not that word. There's a different word in the Greek, and the word here for dogs means uh wild dogs. And in this Eastern culture, every book that I read, as I studied, said in the Eastern culture, there were wild dogs. There were dogs that uh, attacked people when they walked by. There were dogs that were fierce, and they barked all night, and they got in people's garbage and, you know, scavenged around for trash, and they were fierce, and they were always on the prowl, and they were a nuisance, and they were kind of a danger to be on guard for. This is not the same, as I said, it's a different word than the word that we would think of for our dog, our pet. And so that's what he's talking about. What is he talking about spiritually? What does he mean? He means, and I believe in all of these, all three of these, it would be false teachers, okay? But he breaks them down a little bit differently. Dogs, in Paul's day specifically, they were Gnostics. John uh, combated that in the epistle of, of 1 John uh, Gnostics that deny the resurrection of the Lord, that deny Jesus came in the flesh, that deny you can really have a relationship with a personal God kind of thing. And so there were Judaizers, there were false teachers, there were adversaries and enemies of Christ, there were opponents of Christ and his gospel and, and his people. Okay, and there, is, there, is it any different today? We might not be inundated with them in our church, praise God we're not. God is protecting us, but the the environment is still the same spiritually of false teachers false prophets uh, Paul warned the Corinthians there's false gospels another Jesus another uh, another spirit another Jesus another gospel okay 
and it masquerades itself as being the truth. It masquerades itself as being the truth. So these dogs would have been false teachers. They're enemies of Christ. And not to really make a pun, but these dogs hounded Paul throughout his, his life, throughout his ministry. There were dogs that either, either got there before he did or when he did or as soon as he left, they, they came in and they began to pervert the teachings of the Lord and pervert the gospel of Christ and pervert the truth that Paul shared and brought to, to the believers or to the people in that area. So there are false teachers that boasted in and trusted in their own attainments, their own merits, their own attainments, rather than, than the merits of Christ. And in any type of false religion, you can start thinking of worked works-based religions and salvation and righteousness, and uh, so much of it is based upon how we perform, who can perform, how, how can our good deeds outweigh our bad, and so forth. And this, was, this is a false teacher, and it's constantly, um, as I said, they were either right on the heels of Paul when he came in, like in the church in Galatia, the Judaizers, which we'll talk about in a, in a moment, but false teachers that come in and they creep in and they they try to pervert the teachings of Christ. They have an agenda. They're not just misguided people. There are some people that are just ignorant and don't know, but they would still, for the most part, someone that's just ignorant, doesn't know doctrine or some something like that, would probably be willing to be taught. I think about uh, Priscilla and Aquila taking Apollos aside, and he didn't know all the the full gospel, and, but he was humble when they pulled him aside and taught him. He goes, this is awesome. Thank you for teaching me that. Uh, so they're not, false teachers are not just misguided or ignorant. They have an agenda. They have an agenda that's, and I want you to just keep your spot there. Look with me if you would. It's worth turning to Second Peter chapter 2. Y'all remember several years ago in our church on Wednesday nights, we did a study through the epistles of First and Second Peter. And uh, I, I learned a lot from doing it. And we got to this part in Second Peter chapter 2 and really spent some time. I can remember it, but let, look at Second Peter 2 verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people. You said past tense there were, as there shall be false teachers among you. So the point is, this is not just a local problem or a... Uh, a certain era in time, like this is, oh, this is only a problem the Philippians dealt with. Obviously, it's a, it's a problem that every generation that's walking in the truth is going to deal with those who try to pervert the truth with a lie and try to get us to believe something to, to lead us astray from the simplicity that is in Christ. That is not a new thing. It's not a new thing at all. And so he says there were false prophets among the people, there were in Moses' day, okay? There, there are false prophets. There were false prophets. Jeremiah, t Jeremiah talks a lot about false prophets, a whole lot about them. And so here we see, and Peter says, look, as the, there will be false teachers among you. What are they going to do? Who privately or privately or secretly shall bring in, uh, he says, damnable heresies. It's serious, it's serious. We talk a lot about doctrine, and I don't want to spend the whole night, but we could. 
spend the whole night talking about doctrine. Doctrine is important. Doctrine is just a fancy Bible word for beliefs. It's what we believe. That's all it is. It's what we believe. It's a teaching. Doctrine means a teaching. A false teaching that would cause us to believe something that is false is serious. It is serious. There are many, it says in the last days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of who? Devils. That's the origin of a false doctrine. As again, again, it's not just a misguided or ignorant person. Misguided and ignorant people might heed this and follow after it, but the source of it is demonic. The source of it is the spirit of Antichrist. They privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So let's go back to uh, Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> That's just a, a picture of what we read in, in Peter. It's just a, a picture of false teachers in general. They're not after your good. They don't love you. They don't love God. They can smile. They can hug you. They can pat you on the back. You can go on a family vacation with them, but they don't want your best. They have an agenda. They have a false teaching. If you go to them and confront them with a false teaching and they heed, then praise God, they come out of that. They were, they were led astray themselves and they're willing to be taught and they want to come back. That's why we always have to go to people with the truth. If they don't and they say, no, this is, this is what I believe. This is what we're going to preach and believe and follow after then that, that, that is dangerous. That is so dangerous, and we don't want to follow that. Paul said, I know I say it all the time, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. He didn't say follow me off a spiritual cliff if I get off into false doctrine. We are to check by the word of God. That is our standard. So back in Philippians, we're to beware of dogs. We just talked about vicious dogs. They're not your friend. This is not man's best friend. These are false teachers. Beware of evil workers. What are evil workers? It just goes hand in hand with what we talked about with the dogs. Evil workers specifically means they're deceitful. They're deceitful. Mischief makers. And they disturb both the faith and the peace of the, of the believer. They come in and they disturb you say, oh, when I listen to, to him, when I listen to her, they're so nice and they're so wonderful, but something just doesn't sit right with me. I, after listening to him preach, I, I wonder if I'm really walking in the truth. After listening to them teach Bible study, I always leave feeling condemned. I always leave wondering if I'm just trying to serve God in the flesh. I always wonder if, uh, if I'm really saved or not. I, it's something that disturbs your peace. And something that, dis that undermines your faith. And that God is not the author of confusion. We might be confused sometimes, but it's not from God. Amen? We can go to God's word and the issue can be settled. Maybe through a time of prayer. Maybe through a time of prayer and fasting. Maybe through the time of having some wiser believer sit down and expound the scriptures. But it can be settled. And the peace can return. And the, and the, uh, the strength in our faith can return. Right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I thought that was a, a good tell. Evil workers, they, they're mischievous and deceitful, and they, they work to, and they disturb the, both the faith and the peace of the believers. This is what we would call, not dogs, but this is what would be called wolves in sheep's clothing, right? Uh, 
wolves in sheep's clothing. And so they don't, they destroy the flock. We're told they're, they're not sparing the flock. The flock would be the flock of believers, those that are in Christ, in the house of God, the people of God, maybe new believers, maybe immature believers, maybe believers that haven't gotten fully established in the truth and their knowledge of God. And they're not sparing the flock. They want to get people after them. They want people to follow them. They want people to join in their team and follow after them. Not sparing the flock. Professing to be true believers in order to gain acceptance and access in your midst. This is the deceitful part about it, right? Satan himself can disguise himself as an angel of light, right? His ministers can disguise themselves as angels of light. So they want to get your confidence and trust and say, I'm one of you. I'm one of you. And they come in and they begin to preach and teach and live in such a way and, and pray in such a way and counsel in such a way that you go, oh, something's disturbing my peace, but I know they're a man of God. Well, no, you don't know that they're a man of God. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, I know they're a woman of God. They come highly recommended or whatever. Um, so we're to beware. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of concision. That is an interesting word. The end of verse 3. Uh, verse 2, beware of the concision. The Greek word, and I don't always get into the Greek word, but it's important here because the word concision, a lot of people say, oh, that's just the circumcision. That's just referring to the Jewish people. It's not. Concision here is the Greek word is katatome, and katatome means mutilation, to mutilate your flesh. And so it's not the same as peritome, which means circumcision. But he's being a little sarcastic. Paul is using a, a, almost a play on words here. He's, and I'll try to explain it the best that I can. I know that you'll understand this. Paul is referring to those Jews that are not true Jews, but they're, they're just following after their dead religious system in rejection of Christ. Okay? And they trust in circumcision. And they trust that Abraham's their father. And they trust that they were the ones that God gave the commandments to. And they trust in their heritage and have no spiritual understanding. Jesus said, if you'd have known Abraham, you would know me. Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. You're of your father, the devil. But what did they do? They were Jews. They were scribes. They were Pharisees. They were Sadducees. They were teachers of the law. But they broke the law. And they couldn't keep it themselves, but they tried to make other people keep it. And they couldn't keep it themselves. They had no comprehension, no spiritual understanding at all. They were walking in darkness and boasting about it. Saying, I have, I'm circumcised. I have that as a right. I have that as a... They were trusting in uh, works of... He goes, basically Paul's saying they just mutilated their flesh. That's really what he's saying here. There's no benefit to what they did. That's why he calls them, beware of the concision. They mutilated their flesh and they trust in all these rites and ceremonies, but they have no relationship with God, no knowledge or comprehension of Jesus Christ, that Son of God. They didn't know the Father before the Son came. Amen? And so had they known the Father, they would have known the Son because the Father spoke of the Son and the Son testified of the Father. But it's not the same word. So it's not just Jews in general. It's not just Judaism in general that he says when he says beware the concision. He's talking about Jews that 
merely trust wholly and solely in the right of circumcision as being what makes them in a right standing with God, what saves them, basically. And so he's not referring to the true circumcision, which, you know, was symbolic of something that was showed a separation unto God. So what these concision, beware of the concision. He is talking about a group of people. The concision would be those they substitute. Now this is what I'm saying. It's important. They substitute circumcision for the new birth. It's pretty significant, isn't it? They're substituting basically circumcision of the flesh. He says, all you did is mutilate yourself. It didn't do anything for you. That's why he's being sarcastic. Beware of those people. They're going to demand it of you. They're going to demand it of Gentile believers. They're going to demand it of Jewish believers. You've got to be. You have to be. This is what our, our hope is in. No, you don't have to be. Uh, and so beware, he says, they substitute circumcision for the new birth, and they trust it in a rite or a ritual without any substance to it. This is the people that drew nigh unto God with their lips and worshiped and honored the Lord with their mouths and lips. Old Testament and New Testament, that scripture is talking about. But what was far from the Lord? Their heart was far from the Lord. We see it. We understand. There are religious people in our day that stick to their religion. They could be Protestant. They could be, they could be part of a, a spirit-filled church. They could be part of Judaism. They could be part of Catholicism. But they trust in their religion and their religious system and what the priest wears and the, the size of the wafer that's offered. And <clears throat> they trust in the, the buildings. They trust in who it is that's telling them what to believe rather than a knowledge of God. This is life eternal, Jesus said, that you might, they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's eternal life. God is after our hearts, amen? And we, we confess with our mouths and believe with our hearts that God hath raised them from the dead and we're saved, amen? And so beware of people that would trust in an outward performance. In this case, in that third case, the concision, again, this would have been Jewish people, but not just Jewish people, Jewish people that almost doubled down on their, their beliefs, even though Christ came and they rejected him. So their salvation, they were only concerned with the physical act of circumcision without any concern for the spiritual. Again, there are people like that in our day. It's so easy to point our fingers at the Pharisees. They're pharisaical. You're being pharisaical. You're being legalistic. And it's so easy to say that. You know, a lot of those Pharisees got saved. You know, all the early church was 100% Jewish. And they were circumcised, okay? So there's nothing evil about that. It is the, it is the, uh, the fact that they would trust in that as opposed to trusting in Christ. The Lord says in the Old Testament, rend your hearts and not your garments. If you really want to repent and get your life right with me, oh, don't just put some, sprinkle some ashes and rend your garments and walk around with a long face. Rend your hearts. Repent. Turn to God. Be uh, with the repentant sorrow Godly sorrow that works repentance, amen, in, our, in your hearts, amen, not just the outwardly. 
And so the Bible tells us, we, we know this passage, I'll just read it from 1 Samuel, when, when uh, Samuel was called to anoint the next king of Israel, and he wasn't sure who it was, he knew it would be one of Jesse's sons, and he certainly thought it would be the oldest one, good-looking, big, strong guy. He says, certainly that's the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. He still does. He always has. We, we are serve God from our hearts. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. Old Testament and New Testament, with all your heart, soul, and mind. And your neighbor as yourself is the second commandment. And so God is after our hearts. So we're, we're going to close with verse, verse 3. For we are the circumcision. Remember, a different word from uh, concision is a little almost like a play on words. We are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. That little verse says a lot. It puts true Christianity. What he's, what he's describing there is in total contrast to the false teachers that trusted in the works of the flesh and confidence. And it's a total 100 degree, 180 degree opposite. And so he says, we're the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So there's four things. First of all, he says we're the true circumcision. Turn with me. Keep your spot there and just real quickly, Romans chapter 2. It's important that we understand this because, again, somewhere along the line in modern Christianity, it's like the Jews, I know they rejected the Lord, and they've suffered because of it. They said his blood be upon us and our children. Well, it has been. They've been guilty of the blood of the Lord. I know he died for all of our sins, but uh, God still has a covenant with those people. God still loves those people. God is saving individual Jewish people today, and a nation is going to be born in again in a day when the Lord comes back at the second coming, those that have survived to that point of the tribulation. So don't think that God's through with them. It's not ours to hate Israel or to hate anything they stand for. So look at Romans, Romans 2, verse uh, verse 29, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. So let's back to 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew. That would, this would be us too, just in the sense. I'm not Jewish, but in the sense that Paul is talking about. He's talking about Judaism, if you would follow it out from the law of Moses, okay, and the law and the Moses and the, and the prophets, and you would follow it out, it would lead you to Christ. If you walked in it rightly, everything in the temple was a type and shadow of Christ. The, the showbread, the offering, and then here comes the, the lamb that was slain for the atonement, and here comes Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you by faith followed it out, like people like David and Isaiah and so forth did, it would point to Christ. And so we are Jews in this sense, spiritually, not by birth and not by heritage. He is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. And so that, that's exactly what he's talking about in Philippians when he says we are 
the circumcision, because he's writing to mostly Gentile believers in Philippi, but he says, we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. Amen? So um, it's inward, not outward. Worship God in the Spirit. We all know that that is the way we're called to worship. Jesus told the woman at the well, she was saying, well, the Jews say we're to worship in Jerusalem, and our fathers, the, the Samaritans, who had gotten way off uh, and left field spiritually, said that this mountain is where to worship. And she said, he said, woman, you, you don't even know who you worship. Salvation is of the Jews. You worship, you know not what. They that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. This is what he's saying here. We are the circumcision, true circumcision, right? We worship God in the spirit, in the spirit. Amen? Our worship is in the Spirit. It's led by the Holy Ghost. It's empowered by the Holy Ghost. It's not worked up in the flesh. Our worship is not to be worked up in the flesh. We can be emotional, but it's not to be governed by emotions. It's not to be characterized by how emotional. Well, if we got really emotional, emotional, then we really worship God. We ought to be emotional in our worship. We ought to lift our hands. We ought to lift up a shout of praise unto God. We ought to sing at the top of our lungs. We ought to do it as unto God. But, but we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, amen. It is led by the Holy Ghost, it is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it honors the Lord. The Father seeketh such to worship him in that way. All right, so we're, we worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And we've talked about rejoicing in the Lord, amen. He says it already in this chapter. And we have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. This is a complete opposite of the Judaizers. Complete opposite of a lot of different religions. That all of their confidence is in their flesh. I have this tattoo. I have this circumcision. I have this hat on. I have this uh, whatever. Well, I wear this. I, I bow this way. I sit this way. I pray this way. Everything is about them and their flesh. No, nothing about the Lord. Nothing truly about the Lord, and it's not biblical. Paul says, I have no confidence in my flesh. None. He did before. We'll talk about it in a few weeks. He did before when he was on the Damascus Road heading to Damascus to persecute Christians. He had a lot of confidence in his flesh. He was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Pharisee touching the law blameless. We're going to get into all that. If anybody could have had confidence, he did at one point, but his eyes were open in a moment, and all of that went like dung, he said, behind him. When he saw God and met the Lord and came to know him, all of that became nothing. Galatians 6.15 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So is it a sin to be circumcised? Should we ridicule circumcision? No. He says, Circumcision doesn't avail or profit anything, better off, nor does uncircumcision. We're no better off because we're Gentiles. The Jews are no better off in one sense spiritually simply because they're Jewish and have those rites and ceremonies uh, traditionally and as a heritage. But a new creature, the Bible says. Paul says, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. I used to boast in all of those things. I always picture when I think about the boasting 
Jewish denier of Christ in that day. All did not, by the way, all did not deny the Lord. Like as I said, the whole early church and all the early disciples were Jewish. But those to me that came out when John the Baptist is baptizing people in the Jordan River with the call of God upon his life, and God, Jesus said he's the greatest prophet that ever lived, born of women, um, and he's baptizing even Jesus to, to fulfill all righteousness, is baptized by John, and the Pharisees come out there just to see what's going on. They're just looking down their noses, right? And, and, and John says, don't, don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. God is able to raise up the, I mean, stones as children of Abraham. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. Bring forth, therefore, fruit, meat for repentance. For everyone that doesn't bring forth this fruit is, cast, is cut down like a tree and cast into the fire. But they were whitewashed sepulchers. Outwardly, indeed, they look good unto men. Inwardly, they are full of dead men's bones. There are Protestants. There are all kinds of people that can be the same. I don't want to be that way. I know you don't want to be that way. The true circumcision is the one that knows Jesus. Inwardly, in the heart, not outwardly, not trusting in a right. We can have a right and a ritual without a reality. We need to have the reality of our faith. We need to truly know Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, no confidence in the flesh. Y'all know this argument, and, and I'm, I'm closing, I promise, but this argument was settled in the church about circumcision. Do you have to be circumcised to be saved? Of course we know that you don't. That was settled. We don't even have time to read it. I had planned on it, but in Acts chapter 15, this was like a big dispute after, after Peter had gone into Cornelius' house, a Gentile, and God, it was an ordained, miraculous meeting from the Lord, Cornelius, a Gentile, a Roman centurion, got saved. His whole household got saved. The servants were there. They got saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost, all of them, at one moment. And Paul, Peter goes back to the church in Jerusalem, and some had a real problem with that. They said, whoa, 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 you went into Gentiles, and you're not supposed to do that. You have to keep the law, and they have to be circumcised. And Peter said, no, time out. God gave them salvation and the same gift of the Holy Ghost as he gave us. I used to think like you did, Paul, Peter said, but God showed me what he calls clean. Don't, I'm not to call unclean. And so long story short, it opened up the church going in to be brought to the Gentiles, the gospel being brought to the Gentiles, the Gentiles being welcomed in. Twain, he makes the two one in Christ, amen? Jew, both Jews and Gentiles. But the point is that that argument biblically was settled. We don't have to debate it now. If you have time, read Acts chapter 15. And they determined, even those that thought, even the Jewish believers that said, no, they have to be circumcised. When the meeting was over, when their council was over, they, they rejoiced and said, you're right. I see it. They didn't bullheadedly keep going. and There wasn't a church split. They said, no, you're right. God did this. This is of the Lord. And they rejoiced. Isn't that wonderful when God can handle such a huge problem? And when it's over and the dust settles, they're all rejoicing together. You're right. Thank you for teaching me. And Peter says, don't thank me. The Lord taught me. You know what I mean? Nobody's getting the credit except God. Oh, this is a fulfillment of that. The Gentiles being brought in 
to the family of God. And it was a wonderful thing. That issue was put to rest and it should never be debated again. But Paul had to fight it. The dogs were around, the evil workers, the, the concision was still around. In a nutshell, they were false teachers. They were false teachers. That happened to be their false teaching. But they were nothing more than false teachers. So I just want to close with, with this thought. One, one man uh, said this. He said, true believers, he says, they don't expect anything good from their Adamic nature or the nature of Adam. And they are, therefore, they are not disappointed when they find none. <laughs> they don't expect anything good from their human nature. And they have no confidence in their flesh. So they're not disappointed when they don't find anything good in their human flesh. Amen. And the, the, I'll close with this. D, you can come on up. F.B. Meyer writes this. He says, true circumcision was, true circumcision was deliverance from the self-life. And that could only be gained by the cross. By the cross of Christ. Deliverance from self and the self-life. The Israelite indeed, like Nathaniel, who, who uh, worshipped in spirit and in truth. He glorified the crucified one. And he was delivered from any reliance upon his self-life. Amen? And we need to pray. We need to pray that we would have no confidence in our flesh. Our confidence is not in our Christianity. Even our confidence is in Christ. It is in Christ the Lord. Amen. And then we can just trample all over any pride or anything we might have had because we have no confidence. The Lord, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 129, the Lord's chosen the foolish things and the, the weak things to confound the things that are mighty. You know why he says that? that no flesh should glory in his presence. I think it's a good place to close tonight, that no flesh should glory in his presence. None. Not Paul's flesh. Can't think of a stronger Christian, more used by God other than, you know, than Paul, Moses, Daniel. That no flesh should glory in his presence. We have no confidence in our flesh and our only boasting, and that really means glory or rejoicing, is in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's take just a moment to pray tonight. Father, we come before you, and God, I just want to thank you for your word. God, I thank you that we can rejoice in Christ and at the same time be aware of false teachers and false doctrines and false gospels and evil workers, God, and manipulators that would try to undermine. We can be rejoicing. And at the same time, be cautious and keenly aware spiritually of who, and who is around us and who uh, is speaking into our lives, God. Father, we pray that we would be the people that have no confidence in our flesh. We rejoice in Christ. We boast in Christ and the cross that, upon which you died, Lord, and where you bore our sins. And we have no confidence in any self-righteousness or innate, innate goodness of our own. In my flesh dwells no good thing. And Father, we just give ourselves to you. I pray that we be a humble people. I pray we be a holy people. I pray we be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I pray we look out for one another and we would earnestly contend for the faith and guard each other 
from things that are false. And we wouldn't just let wolves in sheep's clothing come in here and distract or undermine. For the glory of God, spare us from that, God. Help us to be wise. And help us, Lord God, to trust you, not in our own goodness. In Jesus' name.